Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. T-minus 37 seconds. Fight with growing e equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Treasure from Finding Your Frequency coming to you right here from the 2019 Phoenix Fan Fusion event in downtown Phoenix at the Phoenix Convention Center. Man, what an amazing event. There's so many people here, cosplayers, costumes everywhere. Artist Alley is just packed with all kinds of fantastic creations from comic books to stories to foil packs of all kinds of fantastic things. And of course, Voice America is here with some of its great radio shows. We have Atomic Monsoon did a panel. Atomic Monsoon, they did their panel Thursday at noon. It was fantastic. Had a nice in-studio audience, talked about all kinds of great things. And of course, Kick Girl, the character from the comic book Mystery Babylon. So go check that out by Val Hoshburn. And of course, we got Finding Your Frequency going live Friday, 12 o'clock Pacific. We got Summer Helene from Behind the Scenes also live uh, from this event. So make sure you go check out that episode on your favorite podcast application. Ryan Treasure, right here, coming to you from the Phoenix Fan Fusion, Phoenix Con Fusion. Ah. Sure had a lot of fun at this event. Check out some of these cool interviews that we did. I'm here with our graphic designer, Andy Costello. Andy, what's up, brother? Hey, how's it going, Ryan? Good. You know, earlier today we were doing the uh, panel for Atomic Monsoon. You guys rocked it. Good job. Let's make sure the, the audience can hear that high five. There we go. I think we got it that time. You better have. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy and I decided that we were going to take a, uh, a walk. Uh, we were going to meander. We were uh, going to stroll. Strut. Ambulate. Yes, around the uh, the Phoenix Convention Center, kind of check out uh, what kind of different vendors and things were here. And of course, we we run across Richard. Richard is uh, in this booth that's got all these cool things. And I'll let Richard tell you all about the cool things, but go check out FramelessComic.com. Richard, what's up, man? Yo, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for coming by and talking to me today, guys. Uh, so yeah, we're frameless. We're, we've invented a revolutionary new way to hang art prints, posters, comic books, pop dolls, whatever you've got on your wall without any kind of frame or anything to occlude the view. If you've got full bleed art and you want to see it all the way to the edge, that's what our kits are for. Andy, you are a graphic artist. You are the designer of many things at Voice America, but in your own spare time, you also create comics. When you want to display your art, how... how uh how cool is this or how revolutionary is this product for art display in your opinion well there's a reason we're here talking to richard at framelesscomic.com um no yeah i have i have a ton of 11 by 17 prints that i've made and a lot that i picked up from other artists here and quite frankly there's not a great way to po like put a lot of them up you know i just they're kind of sitting in portfolios hanging around like waiting for either me to stick thumbtacks through yeah and we're, we're not making an infomercial by the way i want you guys to know that andy is an actual artist um, we saw this display and was like, man, this is the coolest thing. For me, I, I always buy those, uh, I buy those like 
uh, that like fake faux canvas things from Walmart, mm -hmm. from photos that I yep. take of my child yep. and my other photography. Um, would you do, or do you have versions of that that allow you to hang those as well? Or what, uh, what kind of variants of the solution do you have that might uh, give some different thicknesses uh, of items to place inside for hanging? That's a really good question. So right now what we've got, basically we have a solution to hang any art prints that you've got, uh, any photos that you get down with a celebrity and you get signed, that can hang up but also these things have a little bit of depth to them. If you look at the side, you'll see like there's this, this bend around the edge. You can fit a modern age comic book in there. So they're literally built originally for comic books to go on the wall. If you put a piece of art in it, we have a backing board that goes in with that. But if you've got a thicker piece of material that your art is on, it's, it's gonna receive it just fine. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys gotta have to go check out the FramelessComic.com website, the hanging uh, solution, the hanging solution for collectors. Uh, definitely really cool. Richard, thanks a lot, man. Do you guys have like social media, Twitter, all that good stuff? We do. We've got a, we've, uh, we're, shoot, you know, I, I just, I'm blanking on all of our social media. We are actually on Facebook. We're FramelessED.com, like past tense of Frameless, FramelessD because somebody else has frameless for architectural glass. Okay. So it's a little bit of a pain. Um, before you leave, though, I just wanted to let your audience know that these are a completely archival safe. We use only PTEG plastic, which is acid-free, archival safe. We use acid-free backing boards. Doesn't matter what your art is, it will react before our materials do. So that means that nothing's going to deteriorate ever in the materials that you guys use. That, that is correct. Your art, your art will deteriorate before our materials do. <laughs> well, and I know that's important. I have uh, some comic books I collected when I was a kid that are at my mom's house. I need to probably check on them to make sure that the plastic sleeve has not deteriorated. You probably won't replace those if they've been sitting there since you were a kid, yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're coming to you live right here from Phoenix... Con, uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, Phoenix Con Fusion. I'm going to call it that like the whole time. Yeah, that's fine. And the reason why it's Phoenix Confusion is because every year that we've been here has been a different name. And so it's very confusing. So Andy and I, mostly Andy, came up with the term, but we have all uh, embraced it, the Phoenix Confusion. Yeah. All right, guys. Check us out all over social media, at Radio Ryan 1, at Jeff Spinney 2. Check out the website, findingyourfrequency.net. Andy and I were walking through uh, the vendor area down here uh, in this ginormous, I mean, when I say ginormous, this thing has got to be like 3 million square feet or something like that. Uh, a, a huge ballroom area. And we walk past and we see this nice couple here and we figured we got to speak to them. You look at their information, you look at the time, uh, comic book launch in 1978, ElfQuest, 40 years of pointed ears. I really like it. So we're here with Wendy and Richard Peeney. You guys, welcome to Finding Your Frequency. Well, thank you very much for talking with us. Yes, we look forward to just chatting. So our, our radio show, Finding Your Frequency, is uh, it, it's about that that the journey, the you know the why, um, and so being in this for 40 years, you have a passion that you've been following for so long. Um, let's go back to this beginning for a second. Why did you start the ElfQuest series and decide to follow your frequency in this space? Back in 19, 1977. I sat him down on our living room couch and I said, I have an idea. I told him the basic idea of the story because we knew what the story was gonna be from start to finish. And he fell in love with it. And we tr 
immediately set about trying to figure out how do we get this out to the world? And see, 1977 was a really good year because first Wizards came out, the animated Ralph Bakshi film, and it was the first kind of adult animated fantasy cartoon. But then a month later, there was this little thing called Star Wars. It made the pop culture brain explode. And we thought, my God, if everybody in the world is receptive to science fiction and fantasy now because of Star Wars, maybe we've got a shot at our little funny book about a bunch of elves in the forest. Well, so it's kind of uh, a really big thing that Star Wars came out in that particular year because it opened up the market for you guys, right? It inspired us to take a shot. We well, would have tried anyway, but... And the thing was, uh, the, the, the field was wide open because the independent comics movement was just getting started. There were only two or three other publishers at the time, so the, the shelves were just waiting for more product. It, it, it had everything to do with timing. So 77, that's like right around when Dave Sim was doing Cerebus, and that's like the whole black and white underground movement was really starting to pick up, right? Yes. Yeah. But there were just a, just a very few of us then. And uh, ElfQuest happened to just be lightning in a bottle. It took off immediately, and we had some wonderful distributors, and so our numbers grew and grew and grew with every issue. And... Um, it, 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 we never looked back. I, I used to have a day job at IBM before ElfQuest started, and about six issues in, we realized I can either work for IBM or I can continue to work with Wendy on ElfQuest, and I made the right choice. I mean, I would make that choice too. Go hang out with a bunch of weirdos at IBM or hang out with Wendy. I mean, that's like a no-brainer, right? <laughs> so He kind of had to hang out with me. We'd been married for several years. <laughs> That's funny, my wife and I both work together um, at Voice America. She works in our uh, accounting uh, group, and so her and I see each other and work together every day and then go home and see each other and live together every day, so I know how that relationship works. Well, then you know how you have to role play, because sometimes if the coworkers aren't getting along, then you have to say, I need to talk to my husband because I can't stand my coworker right now. <laughs> Yeah, I just, she's the boss and that's it. It makes it easy. Well, it's just like this. All, you know, the ideas, the, the, the art, the beautiful art, she's the, the creative spark. I like to call myself the facilitator. I sometimes help with the writing. I do a lot of the editing and the management and all of that stuff. And what she doesn't do, I do. What I don't do, she does. And it's a good uh, pairing up. So, I don't, I, you may not keep track of this, you may, I don't know, if I was in business, i keep track of all this stuff. How many total issues of ElfQuest have you sold? Oh, well, all right, there are two answers to that. There have been about 250 individual issues, if, if you're a collector. Okay. Um, but in terms of total sales, God, it's, it's over 20 million over the years. And that doesn't count books because we collect them up into, into collected volumes and those go into the graphic novel section at Barnes & Noble and there's a bunch more of those. Awesome, Wendy, how, how does it make you feel to know that you know, over 20 million people have got to enjoy you know, your, your creative spark? Well, here's the wonderful thing. When the internet came along, uh, I, in particular, was suddenly exposed to more feedback than I'd ever been exposed to before because prior to that it had just been snail mail. So the amazing amount of just love 
The fans are awesome. They follow the story so carefully and they analyze the characters and they make amazing guesses as to what's going to happen. And especially the past couple of years in finishing up Final Quest, the suspense, you know, we took a ride on the suspense trade and right along with the fans as we were as we were barreling towards the ending. It, it, it's been a wonderful relationship with the fans. And um, they are among some of the most kind, courteous people. And that's not always common in fandom. Um, yeah, I, so my family used to own a comic book store, and then I worked with another one here in town, and I'm still frequenting, fre- ugh, frequenting comic shops. It's been a long day already. Uh, and we've been saying frequency over and over again. Uh, anyways, um, I will say that ElfQuest fans are some of the most unique fans that I've ever run into, uh, because a lot of the ElfQuest fans are like, no, I want ElfQuest. That's all I want. I want to come in. I want to get my Elf Quest every month or every two months or however frequently it's coming out for whatever, you know. Uh, and they come in. They're looking for back issues. They're looking for whatever's coming out right now. Um, they'll rebuy stuff in the Omnibus collections and everything. And, like, that's it. Like, they, they it's Elf Quest or nothing. Well, uh, there's an answer for that. Sure. ElfQuest brought in a new kind of readership yeah. to comics. First of all, it brought women in. Yeah. That had not, the uh, women fans had not been in the numbers prior to ElfQuest. And, and it was the type of comic that they were looking for that they didn't know they wanted until it was available. And then, um, what else would you say were factors that made ElfQuest different from... Oh, well, your artwork is like nothing else out there. Her artwork, I like to say, she she says she has two mentors. And her artwork is a a really unique melding of two styles, one of which is Eastern and grounded in anime and manga. It's kind of feminine and ethereal. The other one is Western. It's the superhero and... The, the example is Jack Kirby, it's massive, it's weighty, it's powerful, and she managed to take those two incompatible oil and water elements and fuse them together into the art of ElfQuest, and people have been losing their minds looking at the artwork ever since. Sometimes people look superficially and say, oh, that's just too cute. Uh, give it a try, and they get into it, and, oh my God, look what they're doing. See, that's what I learned from my mentor, Osamu Tezuka, who created Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion and all of that. He came up with a formula that I followed, which is you design these charming, adorable, childlike looking characters and then put them through the worst, I'm not going to use the word, but it starts with S and ends with T. You put them through the worst stuff you can think of. Put them through the ringer. Through the ringer. And it engages the audience. It just holds their breath like, what's going to happen next? Tezuka taught me, and I followed through with that formula. So when you guys talk about your fans, you know, especially at an event like this where uh, cosplay is such a huge thing, um, how often do you guys come to these events and you see people walking around that are all dressed up like ElfQuest? Um, it, it happens quite a lot. I mean, not as much as, as uh, you know, stormtroopers maybe, but um, ElfQuest cosplayers, they put their heart and soul into it, and they come up with some amazing, uh, first of all, accurate, because Wendy's a great designer. Um, they put love into it. They put detail into it. They come by our tables, and our eyes pop out of our heads, and it is, it's just amazing to see that real world expression 
of what's in the comics. Well, here's the thing that cosplayers tell us that I'm really pleased about because I've been, prior to becoming a comic artist, I was a costumer and a costume designer. And so I know how things are put together. So that's how I design the costumes for the characters. And the cosplayers tell us now that ElfQuest costumes are really wearable. They're not as impossible as some of the superhero costumes, you know. But they're wearable because I know how things are put together. Yeah, walking around in an Iron Man suit or, yeah. or something yeah. like that, that's got, you know, it's cumbersome, it's heavy. You had like the guy earlier today that was wearing like the whole Predator garb and, right. you know, all of those yeah. plastic pieces. Is, and yeah, they're very good, but yeah, not very mobile and, uh, you know, hard to enjoy, like, especially in an event where you might be dressed up in that costume for four days. Right. Yeah, no, I saw a guy dressed as Carnage from the Spider-Man villain earlier and like it was a cool costume and it was clearly homemade and, and very well done. But like his hand was an axe and I was like, that's cool. But how are you going to walk around and do anything with, you know, effectively missing one hand? My thought is, how do you go to the bathroom? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, they, maybe they've got like a bag attached or something, I mean, they walk imagine, around. Can you imagine going to the bathroom with an axe for a hand? No. I, I, mean, I have, I have trouble with two hands sometimes, no, you know? I'm not going down that road anymore. Yeah, I, I, think, I think at this point in my life, I'm just happy I can use the two hands that I have. I don't want to throw any other variables no, into the mix. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know what? I want to thank you guys so much for taking your time. Uh, Wendy, Richard, tell me, where can people find out information about you guys online? Absolutely, it's easy to remember, elfquest.com. And I'll tell you something else, elfquest.com slash read, and you can find 35 years from issue one, page one, all the way up to about five years ago, online for free, digitized. So if you want to learn or you want to catch up, elfquest.com slash read, there you are, bring a lunch, you're going to be there a while. Well, guys, you heard it right here. We're here with the legend ElfQuest, 40 years in the business. That's just amazing, Andy, yeah. to be 40 years in the comic business, yeah. coming to such a head with the end of the story. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you. Awesome. You guys are listening to Finding Your Frequency. I'm Ryan Treasure, and you're... I'm Andy Costello. Make sure you guys tune in to Finding Your Frequency every week, Friday noon on the Pacific... Uh, Tune in every week, Friday at noon, on the Variety Channel. And then, of course, catch Andy and Atomic Monsoon every Sunday at 10 a.m. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Variety Channel. Andy, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Ryan? Uh, the same as it was the last time we did an interview like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah I got to come up with a new introduction line. Yeah, how, but I'm good, by the way. Thank you. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. I'm, glad I'm, at, I'm at Phoenix Confusion, right. so why would I be anything other than awesome? Uh, well, because you could be more than awesome because of our guest that we have right here. Yeah, you could be Todd Nock. You, you could be. be. You could be. I'm not. You're you, not. I'm not. You can't be. No, I wish I was. I wish I could be. Anyways, what's up, Todd? Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Good. So uh, for those of you guys that are uh, tuning into the show, Todd uh, is an artist who works on Spider-Man, Deadpool, Doctor Who, Nightcrawler, uh, Young Justice, and Teen Titans. Uh, so thanks for joining the show. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Awesome. So uh, Finding Your Frequency, as we were kind of talking about off-air, uh, is about just kind of that journey, that, that time in your life where you decided, aha! I'm gonna follow that frequency. I'm gonna go down that path. So, just kind of from the beginning, you know, not in huge detail, but what made you decide to go down the path of becoming a graphic artist and and ultimately get to work on these works like Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, that's uh, 
Yeah, my journey started around age three. Some of my earliest memories were of drawing as a little kid, just scribbling in a circle. And then that started to take shape in some, into some of my favorite characters. Really liked drawing my favorite cartoon and comic strip characters as a small child. Started getting into collecting comic books in eighth grade, so I got, really got into superheroes, Transformers. I was an, I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up in the 80s. That's, that's my jam. And um, in ninth grade, 1985, my buddy uh, says, you know, or, uh, or he asks, you know, if I'd ever tried making my own comic, because he says, you draw all the time, you read comics all the time. Have you ever tried to make your own comic? It's like, that never occurred to me. Can I, can I do that? Am I allowed? So I get home from school, take some eight and a half by 11 printer paper, fold them in, fold like three or four sheets in half. I write and draw an eight page comic book in one night. Just my own character, I just go for it. Just start making up the story as I went along. And I gotta tell you, it was bad. The art was not so great. The story went nowhere, but it was so much fun. I created something. When I was done, it was like, I did it. I, I drew this whole thing. I wrote it, I drew it. And it was so much fun creating, world building. I knew from right then, whatever I wanted to do prior, it's out the window. I want to be a comic book artist, and now I'm going to teach myself how to do that. That's awesome. So when did you get involved with uh, working with Marvel and, and getting into doing these um, like iconic characters? Yeah, let's see. I, I, uh, I, I, in, by the early 90s, you know, I'm out of high school, now at art school. I'm studying commercial art and graphic design and applying what I learned there towards drawing comics. They didn't teach me anything about drawing comics. I took the information. It's like, how can I utilize this to get better at drawing comic books? And everything in that, that I was taking applied in some way. I found a way to make it apply, whether it be life drawing skills, perspective drawing skills, design classes. It's like, I got to utilize design and how I design a comic book page. So it all kind of played into my ultimate goal. I'd go to comic book conventions, show my portfolios, get brutal critiques, getting information I could learn to level up slowly bit by bit. In college, started making my homemade mini comics again with all new characters. Now with all new skills, looked a lot better than the ones I made in high school. So while sending out my samples to Marvel, DC, the brand new Image Comics, Valiant, Dark Horse, every publisher, even small publishers, just knocking on every door hoping someone would open one for a chance to get uh, work. Uh, I first got my first paid published gig at Marvel, age 21, for a comic book called What The. What The was Marvel's humor comic. I, I love What The. I'm, I'm working on filling in the few back issues I'm oh, missing, right. actually. Yeah. Hopefully you have issue 21, because that's my first paid published work. It's, it's got, uh, the cover is uh, Wolverine, or Weapon X, by, right. drawn by Hilary Barda, and he's got, like, Swiss Army hands. Like, all these tools coming out of his... I do have that one, yeah. You flip it over the back cover, Mutant Mishaps, that's my first paid published work. Oh. I was oh, thank you. I was over the moon. My first job is an X-Men job at Marvel. You know that. Now I wasn't ready to break into Marvel full time yet, though. It was fine enough for their humor comic, not ready for the Marvel Comics universe. Sure. Met Fabian Nicieza, editor of Marvel in the early 90s. He let me start doing tryouts. So I'm making my way up. I have an editor editor that's willing to invest in me. So I'm slowly making my my, my way up. Turns out Rob Liefeld, who just started Image Comics, came across my mini comics that my, one of my art buddies showed off to an artist who was working for Rob named Dan Frega. He liked him, brought him back to Rob, entered him into the Extreme Talent Search. Two days, three days later, I get a phone call saying, saw your mini comics, like your work, come work for me. So I got my big break at Extreme Studios working for Rob Liefeld. Wow. That, that story literally just blew my mind. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, also, somewhere in the middle of all of that, I was going through a whole bunch of old wizard magazines recently, and I found one of your early pieces stuck in their monthly uh, art contest. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Wizard Magazine issue 26. Sounds I great. drew yeah. a, a, a prophet, Rob Liefeld's yep. prophet, 
uh, and it won for the Image Comics, uh, you know, yes. Wizard Cover Fan Art yep. Contest. Yep. I won a signed copy of Brigade Number One or Great Brigade Number Zero fo Foil Edition. Um, and by the time that had come out in Wizard Magazine, Rob Liefeld was already hiring me to work for him. Though it'd still be three months before I moved to California to work in studio. Sure. And from there, I moved on to work for DC Comics. From there, I moved on to work for Marvel Comics. So, um, what now, as you're, you know, kind of moved through, you know, like you said, you were leveling up, and right, so now you've yeah. leveled up to a, to a place where you get to play with some really fun stuff. Of all the characters that you get to play with, which one is your absolute favorite? Uh, well, I've been a Spider-Man fan since I was like three or four years old, so to be so associated with Spider-Man, because I've drawn so many Spider-Man comics in the past 13 years, it's an honor to be to connected to such an iconic character that's known worldwide. Even if you don't read comics, you, you know who Spider-Man is. He's just got that iconic, Steve Ditko came up with this crazy design that has stood the test of time. And uh, yeah, that's probably the character I, I'm most honored to be known or associated with, though I loved working on Young Justice. I loved working with Nightcrawler being a huge X-Men fan. Yeah. So it, it, it's like every project I work on has been a lot of fun, whether it be the characters I'm working with or the co-creators that I, I'm working with. You know, that's really cool because for me, when I uh, uh, I was born in the very early 80s, so uh, you know, I was like, I guess an early 90s kid, but Spider-Man was my very first comic book that I ever owned. Yeah. And um, that was the one that got me hooked and led into you know, multiple issues of Excalibur and all the other X-Men stuff and um, definitely just love the fact that it, they've, you know, taken something that was so cool and, and, and kind of just morphed it into this huge thing that we're all kind of being a part of now with the movies and, you know, all of those things that um, are so prolific in society now. Just this print you've got right here at your table, this, this whole print that has like every major version of Spider-Man, every variation, every, yeah. right? That's My great. Like, print, yes. yeah, that's, that's where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. To, I was I, growing up as a kid in the '80s. Spider Ham, one of my favorite titles. Actually, the first time my name appears in a Marvel comic is a fan letter I wrote to this, uh, the Spider Ham comic when I was uh, a young teenager. So, uh, so big fan of that character. And now here he is, starring in an Oscar-winning major motion picture. Uh, well, I don't think I would have con ha even considered that being a possibility. You know, 30 years ago, right. that that this screwball character would be in such an amazing movie. What a great story, huh, Andy? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, also, I just want to let you know, I have worked at a few comic stores around town, um, and the last few years when you do the Phantom variants and all the Spider-Man 300 homage covers, we couldn't keep those on the shelf. So I, I don't know what it was, but something about the people in Phoenix, like everyone loves your art, everyone loves the stuff you've been doing lately. Uh, that, that, I, I appreciate that. We love coming to Phoenix. We, we try to make it out here to the Phoenix Con every, every year, and uh, I really appreciate the support from all the Phoenicians. So Todd, what is next for you? Where, where do you go from here uh, with all the different uh, awesome things that you've been doing? What, uh, what new characters, what new projects do you have kind of in their roadmap? Yeah, let's see. Right now I'm doing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 comic book put out by Dark Horse. It's a six issue miniseries. I'm working with the creator of the show. I'm a huge fan of that show since the early 90s and now to be a part of it through the comic book which is an extension of the show is a thrill and issue six is on its way out here in the next couple of weeks the trade paperback this this fall and I'm also working with Cosmic Ghost Rider over at Marvel uh, there's a mini series they're doing called Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history six issue mini written by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti who I did some Spider-Man Deadpool with and uh, it's Cosmic Ghost Rider kind of uh, 
putting the uh, the Marvel timeline at risk while he's time displaced to to save his his wife and and child from being from being you know uh, massacred by you know drug drug lords. So d does he save him? D does he not? Does he unravel all of? Gotta buy them all. So uh, so I'm working on that miniseries with some other with a rotating team of artists. Issue two is out now. Issue four will be out soon, and I'll also be on issue six uh, here. Uh, I think coming out in July. Awesome, Todd. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with Finding a Frequency. We real appreciate it. Uh, where do people find you on social media, your website, all of those fun things? Yeah, I'm on toddknock.com. I got a I, I I post heavily on Instagram at toddknock on Instagram at toddknock on Twitter, and I also have a YouTube channel chock full of art videos. So search toddknock on YouTube, you'll find my channel as the top hit. Awesome. And for Andy Costello, I'm Ryan Treasure coming to you live right here from Phoenix Con Fan Fusion or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Three names in three years doesn't make it easy to return, get return business. Phoenix Comic Con. Phoenix Comic Fest. Phoenix Fan Fusion. Phoenix Con Fusion. Confusion. So yes, now that we've determined that we're all confused and we're at this thing where they have cool stuff and you can go geek out at in Phoenix every May, right? And we'll just right. call it something better. Yeah. It's uh, by the way, thanks for having us Phoenix Fan Fusion. We love being here. Yes, thank you Square Egg. square-egg.com. <laughs> hey, so we're here with my buddy Tom Levine, who many of you may remember from the episode of Atomic Monsoon who was on back in January, February, earlier this year. We're here to talk to Tom Levine, uh, who's written what the you get 17 books here or something? Yeah. It looks like like 117 books. More than nine, Tom says, which was what he had last time we spoke with him on Atomic Monsoon earlier in 2019. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tom, welcome to Finding a Frequency. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me back. Things are going very well. We're doing things a little bit differently this year. They have moved all of the authors to the third floor. So those of you who are coming for authors, make sure you go to the third floor Call of Heroes. Uh, and so far, it looks to be working out pretty well. I'm liking it. Tom, I got a question for you. So finding a frequency is about, you know, uh, people's journey, that moment where you said, aha, I have found my frequency. I'm following that. I'm going to go do that. So kind of take us back to the beginning just a little bit about, you know, who is Tom Levine and where did you find your frequency to follow your passion to be a writer? In second grade, we had, I got the bad teacher. There's always the one teacher that nobody wants, and I got her, and she scared the crap out of me. And we had an assignment to write a short story. So I did it, because I was scared. And after I turned it in, she called me back up to her desk. And she said, I want you to rewrite this and make it longer, and then read it to the first graders tomorrow. And I was like, I thought I was being punished, because why else would you do that? Like, everyone loves public speaking, especially second graders. So, <laughs> right? So I did it because I was scared of her and I, w I went next door and I was shaking and I was terrified and then I looked up and saw this classroom of first graders just staring at me with their mouths open, just waiting to see what was gonna happen. And as soon as that happened, I was like, all right, I got this. Uh, so I knew I wanted to be up in front of people and I knew I wanted to tell stories and I've been doing that in one way or another ever since, whether it was theater or writing, uh, little dabbling in film and stuff like that, never look back. Yeah, well, you talk about theater and film. We're looking at one of the uh, pieces that you have here, how to write awesome dialogue for fiction, film, and theater. Um, I know you have a lot of books, but being in the media, obviously, I always gravitate towards those things that have to do with film and media and that type of stuff. Tell us a little bit about that book and how it came about. 
So this is a, a kind of a textbook for writers, whether they're published or not, uh, and it's really rooted in all the things that I've learned over 22 years in theater. Uh, because in theater, you know, you're up there and you have your body and your voice, and that's really technically it. Um, and having that experience is what has informed all of my prose writing, and what I really rely on in my novels is dialogue more than anything else. Um, so the whole book is really focused on how can you improve that dialogue, how can you make it a little bit more fun, more interesting. A lot of people struggle with it, say it's their hardest thing. Um, my hardest thing is more like narrative. <laughs> so yeah, I feel you on that because I've been in radio for my entire adult career. All I know is radio. I can have a wicked conversation with somebody, but if you ask me to go and write something creative, it's probably going to look like a third grader wrote it. And it, actually, it's probably worse than what you wrote in second grade. <laughs> and I'm, you know, a grown man. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. No, it's a very different skill set. People ask that about editors and agents. They'll say, well, if they're so good at that, why don't they write a book? And it's like, because they can't. That's not what they're good at. I'm not, I can edit a little bit, but it's not the kind of skill where I'm going to be an editor. It's a yeah, you guys, uh, I'm going to ask Tom to ghostwrite my book because I'm going to need some help for sure. I have a lot of stories to tell and a lot of cool stuff that's happened in my life, but to try to write it in a manner that people actually care, I'm going to need Tom. That's right. That's what we're here for. We're here to help. <laughs> so Andy, I know that you and Tom have known each other for a while. Um, what is some of the favorite stuff that um, you have read that he that he has created? I like this question. Oh, you're gonna put me right on the spot. Um, so I'm gonna be honest. The favorite, my favorite thing of Tom's that I have experienced uh, was when we were in a play, uh, coincidentally called Talk Radio. Uh, Tom Tom was the director, and I got to do a couple of voices. I think I was the first and last caller in that. Uh, I remember playing Richard, a guy who got. Some some real estate in Florida and uh, that was sound like a female Christopher Walken <laughs> I'll take it that's good as long as I don't sound like me I don't care that's fine that was the goal uh, and then so I was Tom was literally the director of talk radio yes <laughs> like which is an actual like no which is an actual title in the radio industry like you could be the director of talk radio for clear channel so you have uh, it was a dual role you didn't even know that's right. It was that awesome. And, and if I remember correctly, that was one of the stipulations when I asked him to do it. It was like, okay, but I'm not using my voice or something. Yeah, like, yeah that yeah. was one of the things, yeah. which was funny, I thought. Yeah. So, well, you ended up, you were like a caller that called in to the radio show? Yeah. So uh, pretty much Michael Peck was the only actor in it. There were, I mean, there were a couple of other people, but like it was mostly kind of a one-man show with a couple of... Like, a bunch of characters. Right, right. And there's, and there's just a ton of callers. And so I was like, well, I'll do it. But if I'm going to be calling, I want to, at least one of the voices, I don't want to be me. So uh, yeah, we, we came up with Richard, the, the old man who got some property, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, that was great. Um, but as far as his books go, um, your first book, Party, I really enjoy that. Um, I like that every chapter is told from a different character's point of view. Uh, that's not an easy skill to have. In addition to the other writing skills that you've got, telling them all from different points of view, different genders, different races, different ethnicities. So um, he writes multiple personalities. Yes, and literally, and quite well. Um, true story. I I had bought Party, and like a week later, I knew Tom and I were going to be hanging out, and I thought, oh, I should probably actually start reading some of this and get through like the first chapter or two. Uh, I got halfway through the book before I had to leave because I couldn't put it down. Um, my next favorite book of Tom's is Sick, which is a zombie story set in Phoenix uh, in not Camelback High School. Um, which was another one where I started reading it because I was like, oh, I'm going to see Tom tonight. I should probably... Uh, and I got probably up to about the last chapter. And then I was like, oh, crap, I got to go. Um, and then finished it after uh, we were done hanging out. 
Sweet. Well, yeah. you know, that's actually pretty cool because I know Andy reads a ton of material, right, on a monthly basis. He gets, you know, mad hours in uh, reading, and so that's good kudos. That's awesome. So what are you working on now? What is your, like, current project of, I mean, you probably have a couple in the hopper, so what's the one that you're most passionate about? Right now, I'm working on what I think is going to be an adult horror novel called Sudden. Uh, it's sort of a, a bastard child of the zombie genre in which there's some kind of sickness happening where people suddenly just go absolutely batshit crazy and attack whoever's closest. Um, so the very one of the very first scenes in the story is a, a family having breakfast, everything's fine, and then the mom just grabs her uh, steak knife and starts stabbing the kid with it in the face just going to town and it just gets it just gets worse from there yeah i really pushed it off the cliff with this one um but that kind of stuff it's funny i i grew up on horror and then i stopped reading it or watching it or anything for a long time then i had kids and i gravitated right back to it um because there's something about having kids that like i need to get my fear out so i'm gonna write it i'm gonna watch it it's it's kind of a weird and i think once they're out of the house i'll probably stop again so right now i'm focused on some adult horror stuff yeah so actually what's happening is you've become a father and now through your writing you're prepping Right. And you're like getting ready for what could be. You don't know what the inevitable is, but you're damn sure going to write a story or a timeline about every single one of those possibilities. So you'll be you're like the you're like the Doctor Strange of inevitable of inevitable futures of the zombie apocalypse. Please tell my wife that. Yes, that's actually she because Andy knows my wife and she right. She'll absolutely be on board with that. That's 100 percent true. And I've never heard it put that way. But yes, I am exercising my my demons as best I can with with the writing and watching uh, horror. See, we didn't know when we came over here today we were gonna have like a therapy session with right. <laughs> with, with Tom, right? We all need it. That's what we do. Yeah, all of us just get this stuff out in one way or another. First was like, oh, high school angst. Ew, does she like me? All right, I'm over it. Now I want to tear out my kid's face. That sounds like fun. All right. Check yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's it, we really do though. We it's. It is therapeutic in a sense, and it is planning. It's totally prepping. Like, okay, so, because this is the thing. Writing that story, it's absolutely true, because I'll be sitting there doing dishes or whatever, and then out of nowhere, it's like, so if Joy just grabbed a knife and went after my kid right now, what could I do about it? Wait a minute, no, no, seriously. Like, she's not small and petite or anything. If she just went absolutely crazy, could I physically restrain her? Shit, I don't know. Joy and I had, before you guys got married, Joy and I had a lot of conversations about protecting yourself. And true story, she is one person, like there's not a lot of people in the world that I'm afraid of. I don't know if you know this about me, Tom, but I'm kind of a big guy, uh, which is great for radio. Um, Joy's one of the few people smaller than me that I never want to mess with, right? And so if, if Joy snapped and went after your kids, I, I, I don't know I don't know that I would even call 911. I think I would just leave the planet. Yeah, right? that's, that's yeah. That's what the story's about. Yeah. Is that yeah, that it's not about my wife going crazy, but it's about the oh my god, what would I do? If? It's about being getting prepared for if in the event your wife does go crazy. Just saying, it happens. You never know. <laughs> and he did tell me before this interview that he loves you with all of his heart, and he couldn't imagine his life without you. That is one hundred percent true. She'll be here this weekend, actually. She, um, people ask me, so how do you sell your books and everything? Like I bring my wife because she sells the books. She is fantastic at it. She's uh, yeah, and I love her. That's awesome. Well, Tom, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to, you know, have a little bit of fun with us here at Phoenix uh, Fan Fusion, where we're all confused about what we're supposed to be telling the name is. What's well, so, okay? Phoenix Fan Fusion. I'm gonna get used to this at some point. Someday, yeah, yeah. I uh... talk about what? The change. Oh, they know. No, I know. 
Oh, the audience knows. They've been listening to me like every other interview today. Okay, I will say this. I have some inside information that I probably cannot share. Um, but I will say, from everything I know and everyone I've talked to here at the con, they they do have everyone's best interest at heart, mm-hmm. and they're they're they've been treating us really really well, which is great. So, totally understand the confusion, but they are awesome. I just, yeah, and I, I will I will go out and clarify because you know me being in the media, I do not want to have spread any fake news whatsoever, yeah. right? So we're gonna we're gonna let me draw the line in the sand here. Okay, a the only confusion there is is with the name of the event, right? Right. Yeah. All of the other components of the event, you know the people who run it the management the security you know all of the vendors the artists everybody that comes to the event it's it is amazing event right i am not under any non-disclosure agreements i know that there were some legal reasons to change the name of the event um and so that's that's fine that's out of people's control when when people are throwing lawyers at you you back off Uh, especially lawyers are pretty big dudes you gotta they're getting chucked at you you should move Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're small lawyers, like I don't want people thrown at me. That's that's a mess. That I quit wrestling. <laughs> and he's like, "Whoa! When did this turn into luchadors?" Hello. We had a pool. It took five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but but for real. No, we do we do very much appreciate the the work that the Phoenix Fan Fusion people are doing. We get the name change. It's we're just having some fun. We are. I would add to that also as as both as a guest and an exhibitor. Um, if anyone is out there listening to the show and they weren't sure because of last year, or the year before, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go. Number one, the weather's fantastic. So even if you do have to be outside for a little bit, so beautiful. Number two, they've really got the security thing down. Yeah. Things have improved so much from the last couple of years. Uh, it's a it's a completely new experience in that sense. So yeah, I'm gonna just have to you know uh, uh, go and 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 say I I agree with that because I've been here the last five years or so, and um, it's definitely, this year it feels to me like one of the better years of the last three so far. Uh, So we're definitely loving it. You guys, make sure, I know if you're listening to this, uh, get your plans together, come out to Phoenix in May of 2020, right? Come do this thing, it's great. Um, I heard a a little bit of information about the weather. Um, You know, people talk about these things. I believe in science, right? And so people say global warming, I say climate change, right? So be honest. Anyways, the sun is throwing out less solar flares currently, so we're expected to have an average of five degrees less temperature for Phoenix over the next seven to eight years. Really? Yes. I have not heard that. I hope so. I'm totally on board with that, if that's the case, because it has been gorgeous. Right. So I started researching, like, why is it? So I'm from Phoenix. I've lived here my whole life. I do not, in my lifetime of almost 40 years in Phoenix, do I ever remember it being 65 degrees in late May in a morning. No. Never. Not possible. I took my son to the Desert Botanical Garden the other day, and we went out to eat. We ate outside, and we were literally cold, like actually cold. Like we should have worn jackets cold. Never before. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah, Kristen from Square Egg, who runs the event, was on Fox 10 this morning. They were give, they were interviewing her, and um, she made that comment too. She's like, "This is the first time," and she's been running these events for a long time. She's the first time ever that she's got in the car and had to turn around and go back to get a jacket to come back out for opening day. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's been really beautiful in that sense, and just well worth coming. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you again. We appreciate your time. Uh, make sure you guys go check out the Atomic Monsoon podcast that's on your favorite podcatcher, as Andy calls them. Uh, so you can go check it out on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and, of course, the ever-so-mighty Apple iTunes. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Ryan Treasure, Finding a Frequency, coming to you right here from Phoenix Fan Fusion 2019.